Okay, we have been, in since September, going through this book called Leadership Axioms. It's a book written by Bill Hybels, and uh, in the purpose of this book is to come up with bite-sized nuggets of wisdom, to have uh, certain statements that you can hold on to and use them at certain times to help you and strengthen your leadership. Now, you have a, um, a handout here where we've got on both front and the back, and we've broken this into four different sections, and this is the final section. And the section of this book is called Personal Integrity, Personal Integrity integrity. And so with these leadership axioms, we're going to focus in on uh, bite-sized chunks of leadership for you to use, but also to share with those that work with you. So we're going to start right at the very first, and this is the first point. Obi-Wan Kenobi isn't for hire, okay? Obi-Wan Kenobi isn't for hire. Now, uh, I hope, does everybody here know who Obi-Wan Kenobi is? Okay, Obi-Wan Kenobi is not for hire. So what do you mean by that? People are always looking for someone, oftentimes, I'm going to change that, oftentimes, people are looking for someone to mentor them. And at times, when they're looking for a mentor, they're looking for someone to be their all-knowing, all-sufficient, all-powerful, omnipresent, confident, master, teacher, exhorter, friend, guide from this day forward till death do us part. That super mentor that can answer every question in their life and guide them throughout all of their life. And it's where they could call them any moment of the day, and that person would pick up the phone and talk to them and give them the needed guidance to help them through whatever situation. They want Obi-Wan Kenobi. And Obi-Wan Kenobi is the strong, steadfast, modest, selfless, measured, patient, wise warrior wizard whose prowess shaped the fate of a galaxy. But there's one basic problem, and that is Obi-Wan Kenobi isn't for hire. And there isn't an Obi-Wan Kenobi out there for you. And so if you are here as in seeking a mentor, you need to understand that there's some other paths you can take than to try to find the all-knowing Obi-Wan Kenobi. So I want to give you a couple of ideas that can help you travel that path of being a mentor. And this is some practical advice. To seek someone to mentor is good. But let me give you a couple of things to think about. Number one, seize creative opportunities to learn from a distance from many mentors who have a wealth of information to share. Seize creative opportunities to learn from a distance from many mentors who have a wealth of information to share. Now, what I mean by that is that there are people who have written books where you could read their books. They've made videos. You could look at their videos. You could go online and get some of their talks, and you can learn from these mentors. You don't have to have a sit-down, eat lunch with, with someone to be your mentor. Be creative and seize those opportunities and learn from these other people. Number two is this, but from time to time, make a reasonable request from a wise person from a very specific input. Make a reasonable request from a wise person for very specific input. Most of the time, the people that you want to be your mentor are going to be people who are pretty busy and, uh, and they've got a lot of things going on. And so if you want to approach someone like that, have something specific. Maybe it's something about finances. Maybe it's something about decision-making. Don't just sit there and approach someone and say, hey, I just kind of like to pick your brain for, I don't know, for an hour or two. Approach someone and say, you know, I've got a specific area that I would love for your help in. Can we work a time where we could sit down for 30 minutes, have a lunch, whatever? 
And what you can do is you can seize the opportunity of books and videos and everything to learn from a lot of mentors. And then for specific input, look for some specific people that you can sit and talk to. Okay? Number two is this. What life are you waiting for? The second axiom is what life are you waiting for? In this chapter, in this book, what jumped out at me is um, Bill Hybel said he got this, uh, this axiom from uh, a talk that was given by Johnny Erickson Tata. Now, I'm not sure how many of you know who Johnny Erickson is, but uh, at age 17, uh, she was in a diving accident, and she dove uh, into a lake, hit a rock, and she became a quadriplegic. And I think we may have a picture of her, David. And this is her. She paints with and draws with her mouth because as a quadriplegic, so she has learned to do artwork and take care of herself, and she's a, a, a motivational speaker, a strong Christian, and it's just an amazing lady. And so she spoke somewhere, and when she spoke, they had a Q&A, and somebody asked her the question, and they said, well, how do you keep going? How do you keep leading? How do you keep serving? How do you keep creating with all the physical challenges that you have? And listen to her response. She says, this is the only time in history when I get to fight for God. This is the only part of my eternal story when I'm actually in the battle. Once I die, I'll be in celebration mode in a glorified body in a whole different set of circumstances. But this is my limited window of opportunity, and I'm going to fight the good fight for all I'm worth. Wow, what a uh, perspective of life. Said, so, you know, as a believer, as a Christian, and as you're fighting the fight, you know, for the Lord, this is the only time in history you'll ever do that. Because as a believer, when you die, it says absent from the body's present, I mean, absent from the body's present with the Lord, you immediately go to heaven, you spend eternity with him, and there's not battles to be fought there. And this is the only time in history I'll have to fight those battles. And so this is my life. This is why I'm going to approach life this way. And so what Hybels took from this, he says, if you're waiting for some other life to be courageous, then you're kidding yourself. Because at times, fear will get you. You start playing things safe. Do not let this happen to you. This is your one and only life. This isn't the pregame warm-up. This is the game, and the clock is ticking, and it's the only life that you have. And so what you should do is you should be create, courageous and risk more. Be courageous and risk more. I always like to read when they in, uh, interview people who are 90 and above. And when they've had, they've both from 90 and above to those who are 100 and above, and they ask them, uh, what are your great regrets in life? And no matter what list you look at, almost in every list, it was one statement, and that is, I wish I had risked more. I wish I had risked more. So be courageous. Think about this thing. What life are you waiting for? This is the only life that you've got. So let's be courageous and let's be willing to risk more. Number three, always take the high road. Always take the high road. That means take time before you respond. We live in a dangerous day of technology. You know, when I was growing up, somebody would say something or I'd see something on TV or, or read something, man, it'd make me mad no one anybody to say anything to. I just kind of holler at my at, at the walls, or or if there's someone sitting next to me, I would sit there and say, "Man, that made me mad that so and so happens." But today, you get mad, you get upset. What do you do? I'm going to tweet it. I'm going to post it. I'm going to email it. I'm sending it out. 
And then all of a sudden you go, oh my gosh, what did I just do, right? All right, so what you need to do is you need to think before you tweet, pause before you post. That's not on the screen, but you write it down. Write this down, think before you tweet, pause before you post. Think before you tweet, pause before you post. I want you to repeat after me. Are you ready? Think before you tweet, pause before you post. Now, if nothing else in all this year, in Power Lunch, this is what you need to take with you. I have saved you so much heartache right here. And it says, always take the high road. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Think, think before I tweet, pause for our post, take the high road. It means that there's always plenty of negative and there are things that you could condemn, but I'm encouraging you to take the high road. And this is especially true when you leave an organization or you part ways with an individual. You need to think before you tweet. And you need to pause before you post. What you need to do is bless the things that you can bless. Be thankful for the things that you're thankful for. And to cheer on the things that appropriately you can cheer on. That's the taking the high road. Proverbs 22.1 says this. He says, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. And favor is better than silver or gold. Now, look at closely how he put that. A good name is to be, what's that word? Chosen. That means you take the action on that. A good name is to be chosen. You get to make the choice as to whether you want the good name or not. And when you take the high road, it's the good name. So here's the the fill in the blank. Take the road that most honors God and most blesses others. Take the road that most honors God and most blesses others. So when you're getting ready to say something in public or you're getting ready to tweet something, post something, email something, write it down, make a phone call, you want to stop for just a moment and say, is this going to honor God and will it bless others? Will it honor God or bless others? Take the high road. Now, for some of you, if you'll understand what I'm saying here, when you take the high road, you have to go to the doctor and get stitches because you've bitten a hole in your tongue, right? <laughs> because you said, go on and say something, but I'm not, okay? I'm not. And when you take the high road, there'll be a little part of you that'll be upset because you said, I could have really thrown down on this person. But as time continues to move forward, you will be so thankful and you will thank yourself. I am so glad I just took the high road on that and didn't say what I thought I was going to say. So take the high road. Number four is this, read all you can. Leadership axiom is to read all that you can. Leaders have a responsibility to constantly get better, and most one of the re- most reliable ways to do that is to read. Everything you, re- you see about great leaders, they read frequently and they read voraciously. They read classics. They read new releases. They soak up lessons from the military, academia, politics, business, government organizations. They're just they're like a sponge. And as they're reading things, then this is coming into their life. So you think about this. Some of you may not be may not be big uh, big readers, and uh, and I'm not. I mean, I boy, I, I've really had to work at this because I've just never was that that big of a reader. And I, I'm I'm so envious of those who just love pick up a, a book and they digest it and they pick up the next one. But just set you a, a goal. You know, for me, what I finally did was I said, okay, I wanted to read at least twelve books in a year. So that means like one book a month at least. And uh, and so that'd be my goal. And for me, I'm better at setting goals than I am at reading books. So if I set a goal that involves reading books, then I kind of 
kill two birds with one stone. And, and so, like, we're now in December, and I've read two. No, I'm kidding. No, I, I've read 11, okay? How about that? And, uh, and someone came by and gave me a book on something that looks really interesting. That's going to be number 12. Uh, so I, I know what, uh, what I'm, I'm going to be reading. But I have to set that, that, that goal. And, and when you sit there, and if you're not one who's really a reader, just think about your life. And that is that you're sitting in your easy chair and you turned on your TV and you're getting ready to channel surf. And you start at channel six, okay, that's uh, Fox, uh, channel six. And then we go six and 13 and 33 and 42. And as you're flipping through that, if you've got cable, you can go up into 1,000. And there's nothing on. If anybody, have you ever done that? Just raise your hand if you've ever done that. Yeah, we've done. And, and you know what's so crazy? We went through the whole channel guide and we got to the end. And what did we do? Started back over. As if it's going to change. You feel, wow, I didn't know Star Wars was on it. One known five minutes ago. Now here it is. And, and there's like, there's nothing. And, and then you sit there. So then you settle to watch something that you've watched about 28 times. And to where you can almost quote every line of it. And you watch it. And then you spend a few hours and, and that was your day, your night. When you could pick up a book. And when you open up a book, you know it's something entirely new that you don't know. And you begin to read it. You get entertained and you learn from it. You say, well, Danny, when I read something, I, once I put the book away, I don't really remember that much in there. Ah, let me give you this point. When you read, you invite new information into your subconscious. When you read, you invite new information into your subconscious. Listen, this isn't schoolwork to where you've got to read something be tested on it. You read it for enjoyment and what you can learn, you may highlight it, underline, but these things go into your subconscious. And you're not going to read, remember everything you read, but guess what? In about a week or so, some leadership dilemma is going to come up, and you are going to pull something from that book that you read, and it will help you solve whatever that situation is. We started this, Leadership Axioms. The first one we did was in September. And the axiom that I liked the most that jumped out to me was talked about the big ask. How do you make a big ask? How do you ask somebody for something big? And Heibel said in here that whenever you get ready to make a big ask, that you sit down with a person and you tell them exactly what you're going to ask them and then fill in the blanks afterwards. Where I always thought you did it just the opposite, where you build it up and, and say, because of this and this, because these two connected here and do all this, 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 I'm asking you to do this. I said, yeah, that makes sense. He says, you take everything off the table, just throw it right out there. And so I practiced it. I practiced it with Tom Boston. <laughs> Tom, where are you sitting? I saw he said, yeah, Tom Boston. He's our, our new minister of administration. And uh, I called him in. He sat down next to me. We started the conversation. Boom, just dropped it right on him. It was great. <laughs> and uh, I said, I'm getting ready to ask you to come on our staff to be our minister of administration. Well, that just kind of blew you away, didn't it? Tom? Yes, completely. He said, I wasn't expecting, I wasn't expecting this. But the great thing is you came right out, you made the ask, and then you began to get in the discussions. There's another staff member that we're waiting on hiring that we feel pretty confident is coming on. I did the same thing with him. And so I think I'm two for two on this. But you know what happened is I would have never done it that way. I would have never. But when I read it in a book, it jumped out at me and I said, okay, that's, that's good stuff. You see what I'm talking about? So read all that you can. Number five, lead something. Lead something. Now, what I mean by lead something is if you're a leader and say, well, you know, I'm already a leader here in my business, you need to find something else that will stretch your leadership ability and find something, something that's outside of, uh, uh, you know, kind of outside of what you usually do, but something that fits within your passion. 
something that's complex, diverse, but something that fits right into your passion. And it's something different. It's like cross-training and exercise. If all you do is just exercise one particular muscle and all you do is run, but you don't do any strength training, that doesn't do your body good. Or if all you do is strength training, you don't do any aerobics, that's not good. You need a little bit of both. You need that cross-training. Same thing with leadership. Find something else that you can do that can strengthen your leadership. Now, I think, is Jeremy in here? Jeremy Grime? Jeremy, I saw him out there. He's on the phone. Now, see, Jeremy uh, is our minister of missions. He's like about 6'4 or so, and he has a Purdue jacket on today. So if you see a guy that's tall and has got Purdue, what do you think? You think basketball. Well, sure enough, they've asked him to be the assistant coach of his son's basketball team. Well, this is coming. I mean, his child's finally growing up to the point where Jeremy can help coach. So this puts him into a whole new, new level. He's assistant coach. He loves basketball. He's Purdue. They are basketball. They got beat 24 to 3 in their first game. All right. What great leader he is uh, on that. But he shared with me, he says, but then we got a little serious and we won last night, won yesterday 20 to 11. So the team's back up. I mean, they're winning games now. But I just laughed when he was telling me that because that's good. You're taking a little position, a position of leadership, something that's in your passion, and you will learn some things from that. So lead something. Number six, arrive early or not at all. Ooh, arrive. Yeah, I heard that. Arrive early or not at all. Promptness is about character and courtesy. Promptness is about character and courtesy. Now think about this. And I'm bad at this because um, I, we'll, we'll call a meeting and, uh, and sometimes you come in a little late. And what we need to understand, is if you've called a meeting, you've asked people to come and say, hey, you need to be here at noon, all right? So everybody's supposed to be here, be here at noon. And then you show up about 12, 15. What you've just kind of told them is we don't really value your time. Your time's not as important as my time. I've asked you to be here at 12. I understand that. But for me, I can just come on in at 12, 15 because my time's really more important than yours. And so promptness is character and courtesy. You're showing a courtesy to them and character for yourself of saying that I respect your time. So, so what happens is, is when you do show up late, what's the first thing you do? Usually the first thing you do is sometimes you apologize and sometimes you begin to give the excuse, hey, the traffic was bad and I got caught up in something. Somebody's on the phone, had a situation over here. But what we need to do is the very first thing that we do when we show up late is to say, I'm sorry. Okay? Relational intelligence and grace. I'm sorry. Uh, this is our time. And then if you want to justify it, you can. But the main thing, I'm sorry, shouldn't have been late. And you could say, hey, I got caught up in traffic, but still, I'm sorry that I was late. You start out with that. Okay? So uh, arrive early, get there, and, uh, and, uh, and be ready, okay? Know that their feelings are important. Number seven is this. Excellence honors God and inspires people. Excellence, it honors God and inspires people. Excellence and leadership should go hand in hand. There's this internal quality control mechanism, a longing for excellence. You just won't let a leader off the hook. It pushes a leader to higher levels of achievement, higher than if somebody came and tried to set levels. If somebody came to me and tried to set levels for saying, Dan, this is what I want you to achieve, I think what I, think what I would set would be higher than what they would set. Because there's just within me a higher drive towards excellence than probably somebody else has over here to say, if we need to have you at this standard, I would look and say, nah, this is the standard I'm setting. That's just the way a leader is. They've got that, that mechanism in them. And when you do that, when you do that, it honors God. 
Because, you know, God is the one that's given your gifts. He's given you these responsibilities. He's given you this place of leadership. And when he gives you that, he expects your best. And whatever you do, you do work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. And so you do that with excellence. And when a job is done with excellence, it inspires others. Don't you see that? When you see somebody really do something excellent, it inspires you. We just had our Christmas by candlelight with an incredible two performances that was just a model of excellence from the music to the movie that was that was placed in there to everything about it the tech crews whole thing it was it was incredible and so you see something like that and people walk away from that and they know that God is honored but it also inspires them to say you know what man I, I kind of been dragging I can take things up a little bit higher level. Hybels was talking about in this book that he was in Dallas and he was staying at a hotel and he had a meeting or so he had to go to the next day. And while he was sitting in the hotel, he was watching ESPN and he saw a story on Martina Navratilova that she had won a tennis match, a grueling tennis match in Florida and won the championship uh, on that, uh, on that, that after that night. And so he got up that next morning. And he gets up the next morning, he gets up at 5.30 and goes down to the track in the gym, in that hotel gym. And as he's getting ready to step on the track, he looks beside him and coming through the double doors is Martina Navratilova. She has flown in from Florida. She's staying in Dallas. She's got her tennis racket in her hand. And at 5.30 in the morning, she's getting ready to hit some more balls. <laughs> he said, he said, you know, she just won a championship. But she has that standard of excellence. And uh, that's what you're looking for just that higher quality, honors God, inspires people, okay? Number eight, admit mistakes and your stock goes up. Admit mistakes and your stock goes up. If I can just add this, this is a Danny thing, and if you admit too many mistakes, your stock has been sold, okay? <laughs> so, but, uh, but admit mistakes and your stock will go up. What I mean by that is shoot straight as soon as you realize you've messed up. Shoot straight as soon as you realize that you've messed up. You know, when something goes wrong uh, in the organization, board members, staff members, uh, peers, they're all looking to see which leader is going to take responsibility for it. And the leader that they will respect and the leader they will follow is the one that steps up and owns up to it and says, hey, that was my, my bad, my call. I dropped the ball on that. Uh, I, I thought this would work. It didn't work. Uh, I was supposed to handle that part of, of this whole process, and I really dropped the ball. You know, I thought I'd made the contacts. I didn't make the contacts I should have. Uh, I didn't do the follow-up I should have. That one's on me. Now, we don't want to make a whole lot of mistakes, but we're not perfect, so we know that we're going to. But for the leaders with personal integrity, just admit it. Just shoot straight with them and say, hey, that was on me. And, uh, and I'll do whatever I can to keep that from happening. So remember that. Number nine is this, and that is fight for your family because you're the only one who will. Fight for your family because you are the only one who will. Um, there are times when the urgency and importance of work will overshadow your concern for your family time. This has probably happened to all of us at a time. We get so wrapped up in the business and what we have to do that we put our family aside. And you are the only one that can fight for your family. Rarely will you be in an organization where a boss or whoever is going to be looking out for your family. 
It's not because they're bad people. It's because they have the responsibility of meeting the goals in the business. And what will happen is that people will come and they will pull at you and they're going to say, I need your time. I need you in this business situation. And they're just going to keep coming to you. And you're the one that's got to be blunt and say, I just can't do that. I've got to do this with my family. Or I've, you know, I've got this time set aside. You're the only one that can fight for your family. In the rough and tumble battle for organizational progress, there's always more needed of the leader. More of your time, more of your resources, more of your support, more of your involvement, regardless what it costs for you to give. And so when it comes to fighting for your family, you're the only one that can do that. Because there's not going to be someone out there who needs your resources that's going to ask you and then go, oh, no, no, I'll tell you what, you just go home and be with your family. No, they're counting on you to fight that battle. You're the one that's going to have to look at someone in the eye and say, hey, I know you need that, but it's going to have to be tomorrow. I, I can't do that right now. You're the only one that can fight for your family. So, um, so keep that in mind. Don't keep putting the scapegoat on others and saying, well, they're doing this. I don't have time for you. No, you're the only one that will fight for your family. So, so do that. All right. And the very last one is this, and that's finish well. That is finish well. Finish well in the work that you're doing. You realize that everyone will leave an organization. No matter what job you have now, every one of you is going to leave that. Either you'll be transferred, you'll be fired, you'll quit, you'll retire, or you'll die. All those options are out there. And uh, I read a book on pastoral succession, and the first sentence in the book was, every pastor is an interim pastor. And that is so true. Uh, as much as we think, Shades Mountain and Danny Wood, oh, gosh, you're here. Hey, there's going to come a day where I'll step, I'll step aside. I hope it's retire and not die. I'd like to do the retire thing personally. And, um, but, but there will come that day, and then I'll step aside, and they'll bring in the next pastor. And guess what? That pastor's an interim also. And he's just being here until God moves him or whatever else happens. It's the same with you and your work. So the question is, it's not whether you will leave, it's how well you will leave when your time finally comes. And if you have the choice of leaving, uh, what should you do? I want to give you some things here. It says how you leave an organization is how you'll always be remembered there. You want to put an asterisk by that. How you leave an organization is how you'll always be remembered. Uh, when I had the opportunity to come to be the pastor here, I was following a legend, uh, Charles Carter, who had been here 25 years. And as we talked about how we were doing this, where we worked together, and we worked together for about 11 months, and then he handed the baton of leadership off to me. During those 11 months, I told him, I said, my goal is for you to finish well, because that is how you are remembered. And that is exactly how people remember you. And all you've got to do, you look back to pastors or you can look back to businesses or you look back to coaches. And it's how you leave is how you are remembered. And it's sad because you could put 20 years of incredible work into an organization and when you walk away, you walk away in a bad way. That's what everybody remembers. And they forget about the incredible 20 years of what you've done. So, man, put an asterisk by that. When you leave an organization you will know you'll always be remembered by how you leave. And here are four things to think about real quick. Number one, stick with the organization until it's appropriate to go. Stick with the organization until it's appropriate to go. 
he gave an illustration that we in the church world we can relate to. There was a minister of music that went to his pastor and said, I've decided to go to another church. It was a week before Easter. Well, you know, Easter's a big day for us, all right? And they had this huge musical, and this guy was getting ready to step out. He said, that's not good, okay? You stick with the organization until it's appropriate to go. Now, what that means is is that you you talk to them. You go to, to B. You craft a reasonable transition plan so you don't leave them hanging. Create a reasonable transaction. That's when you come and you talk to your boss and say, I believe that, that I'm going to be going somewhere else. And hopefully a boss is not going to be the guy that just kicks you out the door, but will say, okay, you're in the middle of this big project. I need you to stay till the end of June if that is okay. And work out a transition plan so that you don't leave the company hanging. You've done all the things that you're required to do, and then you can step away. Number three is explain why leaving in constructive terms. <laughs> That key word could be constructive, all right? Why leaving? I'm leaving because y'all are mean people and you're stupid and, uh, uh, you know, you don't care for me. Every time I've been here, you just made fun of me, and I don't think you're very good at what you do, so I'm leaving. Well, that's sweet. So nice to have you on that. You, you know, you want to give your why leaving in a constructive term, okay? It's time for me to be able to kind of step up to another level, a new opportunity, or I'm kind of, I feel like I've been in a rut and I, I need to be stretched over here and this opportunity gives me that. But, I mean, just talk through it and explain it in constructive terms. And the last is this, insist on working diligently until the final 60 seconds of your employee, of your employment. Work diligently until the very end of your employment. So if you announce and say, hey, I got a two-week notice, that doesn't mean you cruise for two weeks. That means you get after it for those two weeks, get everything done, work diligently, and then when it's time to step away, you're able to step away and you finish well. Axioms for personal integrity. I hope you can take some of these and, and place them all together. The one I like is we talk about excellence when it honors God and impresses, impresses others. This is Christmas season. And everyone puts their focus about who Jesus is, and we celebrate uh, his birth, and we celebrate who Christ is. And, uh, and as we think about that, think about that honoring him with excellence, honoring him with the excellence of my time, honoring him by spending time with my family and making them also a priority in my life. And, and don't let this season pass with it just being about the birth narrative. That's exciting, but Jesus didn't come just to stay a baby in the manger. He grew up, and uh, he became a 33-year-old man who went to the cross to die for our sins. And he was raised three days later so that he says, I'm the Lord over death. I'm Lord over sin. I've taken care of all those, and his great desire is to be Lord in your life. And so my hope is that during this Christmas season that uh, you will take that and you'll place him into your heart and allow him to, to control your life and use you to do incredible things to advance his kingdom. So we thank you for being here. We hope you have a Merry Christmas, and we look forward to seeing you next year when we get back together in January. Y'all have a great day. Thank you.